my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Kia ora koto, and thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of In the Sheds on Code with Kingy, where for this go-round, I'm sitting down with a member of the Canterbury men's rugby team and current Auckland Blue. I'm not even just like, you guys are just the Blues these days, really. Yeah, um, I but think, that, think just the Blues these days. <laughs> that being the big man, Sam Derry. Uh, first of all, bro, very, very grateful for your time. And yeah, why don't you just let the listeners know what you've been up to and how you've been doing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Firstly, um, thanks for having me on. It's my first time doing one of these, so uh, pretty exciting. But yeah, stoked to be on. Been pretty cruisy uh, last couple of weeks, just kind of back into the swing of things with with footy down here in Canterbury. Um, obviously, coming out of lockdown, um, we were of uncertainty around what was going to happen and stuff. But now that we've kind of got a wee bit more, um, wee more of an idea of what what's going on, we can kind of really start to get stuck in, which is which is exciting. And now with all the uncertainty that you just mentioned, I think things have obviously been pushed back season-wise. So, like, once the season's done, I'm, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, how much break or how much of a break do you guys get between when you have to rock up for Super? They're, they're pretty good about it, I think, because I think under, like, the Players well, the players Association or something, say you've got to have four weeks off. So that's why the, the competition can't go any further than the... 27th of November I think it is because mm-hmm. they need the players to have that kind of four weeks um, before Christmas and then I think we link back up in Auckland in like January 6th I think maybe oh, okay yeah because I'm just thinking now because I know a couple of boys that play in some of the Auckland teams and are like are they on holiday mode like I, I don't even know what they're doing to be fair I mean oh. they're pretty useless to getting back to me um, yeah well I've talked to a couple of them and I've seen a few videos if you're them out fishing and all that that kind of stuff so but I have heard that they um I think they go in for an earlier preseason in like December or something just because they've obviously haven't done a whole lot for the last two or three months so they'll probably be pretty excited to be getting back into it soon <laughs> I'm not sure about that I'm sure they'd rather be playing than, than doing bronco tests and whatnot yeah. whatever you boys get up to you're not, you're not wrong <laughs> yeah and I guess like things with Canterbury at the moment, like we just touched on, yet a pretty tough loss last Friday night against the strong Wellington team. But I mean, like we, we just mentioned off the air before that Canterbury had a pretty tough year or a an anomaly of a year last year compared to what they're known for. So what's sort of been the change for you boys this year? Because I know you guys have gone up a tick from last year. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think we're pretty unlucky a lot of times last year. Like we had a lot of, a lot of close losses we lost to Waikato last year in the I think it was like the eighty seventh minute or something of, of a normal game, not even an mm-hmm. overtime game. We lost to, um, or we got a got a late win over Wellington, but then we lost to a couple of other teams that were that were all like really close. And I think, you know, this year we've kind of seen a few of those results go away, which has kind of helped us. You know, we're still probably not in a great position, but better than better than last year. But I don't know. I think you know we we have quite a young team and we still do. But everyone's kind of a year older, a year wiser. You know, another year of experience under their belt. We had some good additions with guys like kind of Jack Debrusini coming in, even a guy like Henry Stowers, like just a few kind of older heads that come in. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Fennell has even been floating around the traps a wee bit, and those guys just kind of help um, help us younger guys. You know, show us how it's done, pretty much. You know, show us how they prepare for games, for trainings. You know, their mindset and all that kind of stuff, and. For all us young guys, that kind of stuff's gold. So, so yeah, there's a number of things, but but definitely those those new additions have helped. 
and I know we'll get to your your super deal um because I mean what are you you're only like 20 21 years old but like since having been thrust into that environment and having that sort of expectation thrown at you like coming back down to Canterbury like was there an expectation that you had to maybe step up even though it's only your second year playing at that level I think probably more of a personal expectation than anything you know for me like I kind of thought coming back down that that's that's kind of what I wanted to do um it's really kind of start to stamp my mark a wee bit but I don't know I did, I did kind of think about it I'll be honest like I thought I kind of thought coming down like like far out maybe now that I've you know played a few super games and stuff that people are going to all of a sudden start to expect a bit more of me but but, you know, I don't think that's the case. Like, I think everyone, as you say, is pretty understanding of the fact that, you know, I'm still young as is, is, is the same situation with another, uh, a few other guys. Like, mm. there's still going to be growing pains, you know. Like, I don't, like, I'm definitely not there yet. So, still a lot of kind of growth and stuff in my game that, um, that I want to kind of get through. But, I mean, has, has the game slowed down for you at all, if that makes sense? Like, having played it super and then coming back down to, you know, not to disrespect any of the players playing at the ITM Cup, or what is it, the, the Bunnings NPC level, but has it put you in better stead having had that experience the past, what was it, six months? Yeah, I definitely think it's put me in better, better stead. It's still, I don't think it's slowed down as such, but you just, I think you start to develop an understanding a wee bit more of the pictures you're presented with, um, even like from attack, defence, at line-out mm. time, whatever, you know, like that, everything just starts to become a bit, wee bit clearer just because you've seen certain things before, you've experienced certain things before. But yeah, I still think like, you know, that the NPC is a bloody, bloody good level of footy, you know, and although, as you say, it's not quite the same quality of players, everyone still goes out there with that same desire to just get stuck in. So, you know, you, you don't lose that each week. Yeah, but I mean, like, cracking on pretty quickly up the levels isn't something new to you bro um so why don't we take it back to day dot um and tell us where you grew up and how you even got into playing footy yeah so um i was actually born in dunedin my old man was a hearty dunedin sharks man uh played i think one game for otago a few games for north otago so um yeah born down there and then when i was about one or two moved up to christchurch and yeah moved out to west melbourne which is kind of like a rural town um in canterbury and yeah, started playing when I was four, uh, junior footy for my for West Melbourne Rugby Club, and then played there all the way through to uh, I was about thirteen, I think. And like that was, you know, we're a pretty rugby mad family. Like I've got um, an older brother, an older sister, and a younger sister, and we're all down there. Both of my sisters playing footy um, from a young age, so dad would always kind of drag us down. And then yeah, like even. Um, when I went to high school, um, I went to Cross College and in, in my first year there, which was my year nine year, I was playing in the mornings at college and then driving out into the country to play like half a match of footy for the for the country team because Dad was still coaching. So <laughs> did a few boys doing that. But yeah, and then and then kind of moved into um yeah, high school footy at Cross College. Went up through the ranks there, was in the first fifteen at year eleven. And then, yeah, came out of that into um, the Crusaders Academy, first year out of school. I was in, in New Zealand schools my year 13 year as well, which was an amazing experience. Met some awesome people there. And then, yeah, Crusaders Academy into Canterbury 19s, then Canterbury and, and Blues, yeah. And they did a bit of rowing as well at your time at Christ College. Um, but, yeah. you know, before that, like, was it, strictly rugby like did you play cricket on the side athletics anything else to oh, I, I guess round I out your skill set 
I tried my hand in cricket, but I was never flash. I, I used to, I think I used to bat 10 and never bowl probably or something like that. So <laughs> I was just more there to bloody provide some moral support for the boys. True. And then why, why Christ College? Um, well, to be fair, my older brother was there. So it kind of made sense for me to go there as well. But um, I don't know, I went and had a look around and he, my brother really enjoyed it. And, and I just kind of was wasn't really that aware of what, what was really going on at that age so I was kind of like oh yeah seems like the right thing to do but very glad I went there like all my best mates that I've got today are from there and and yeah wouldn't, wouldn't want it any other way I only ask because I know that you know the likes of St. Bede's Boys High you know they're strong rugby schools as well even St. Andrews now is kicking on from what I've seen in the first 15 space so did you board when you went to Christ considering you were a little further yeah, out of I did like a they have like a house system and I was in like a boarding house, but but I was a day boy because mum and dad travelled a lot as well. So I was kind of able to just go and stay when I needed to. And then in year 13, made the decision just with rowing and rugby being so full on that it was going to be easy to board. So, so yeah, boarded in my final year there. Makes sense. And so then how how the rowing come about? Was it just your mates were into it or pre-season fitness? Again, again my brother kind of did it as well. So I followed in his footsteps for a lot of stuff I did. But, um, but it was also mates like brother and older sister had both done it mates a lot of my mates were signing up for it so I thought I'd give it a crack and I guess I was being quite tall and fit like that was quite a quite a strength for rowing so I kind of my technique was terrible but you know as I said I was tall and fit so they, they quite liked that so um yeah got kind of stuck into it and, and, and really enjoyed it actually yeah and did you find, or even now do you do any sort of pre-season stuff with the rowing like on the rowing machine does does how does that does that even equate to like being in an actual rowing boat out on the lake? Well, it does a wee bit, but it's more just like those. I, I try and stay well away from the rowing machines because like, I've just spent that many hours on them through school that it's kind of like I'm just well and truly sick of them and ready to move on. So, like, I'll see a few of the boys get on for a session and maybe like literally like once or twice a year I'll give it another crack, but that's about it. Like, I just try and stay well away from it because I'm. I'm almost scarred, scarred from all the memories from school. I was going to say, because you won the Marty Cup, which is like the, the, the pinnacle event for, for high school rowing. And I'm surprised none of the boys have like learnt or know that you've done that. I would have thought there'd be a bit of a, a G up for you, like with the old rowing machine, like there'd be that much. Because oh, was... I see like the, I know that the super footy teams, they have like the in-house like groups or clubs or whatever. And I know they have all these different competitions. So yeah, I'm surprised it's never come up. We used to have to do um, in the academy if you were ever late for a gym session, you used to have to do a, a like a 1k erg or something, I think. And like no one was ever late because those they suck. And you know, like every now and then you'd have to do it. And when I when I did that, because I could feel those boys knew that I'd I'd, I'd been um, rode at school and they'd always kind of get up for it. And and it was quite funny, like being an ex rower as well, you see these like massive strong rugby players get on the, the machine and like no disrespect to them but their technique is horrible and like I'm 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 pretty like weak considered to a lot of rugby players but I'll be pulling like the same scores as them just because my techniques like you know I've, I've obviously rode a wee bit so it's funny like they're all kind of wondering like you know how's how's that bloody lanky scrawny kid doing that and I'm I'm buddy doing the same uh unreal know the tricks of the trade all right that's the rowing you're at Christ follow your older brother and you crack the first 15 in year 11 now that you know to anyone who knows rugby like that's no mean feat you know cracking it as what was it 15 16 year old so like 
had you always been like quite good for your age growing up? Like, did you play through all the rep grades in the club system? And then like, once you got to high school, it was like inevitable that you're going to get into the first 15 early. Yeah. Yeah. I had like, I guess I was very fortunate because I was tall and, and not, not big, but just tall, I guess. And, you know, coming through younger age groups, I used to play a bit of number eight until I kind of had a real growth spurt. But yeah, I, I guess I was um, always quite good. Like I played a bit of under 13 Canterbury, under 14 Canterbury and stuff. But then to be fair, like I, I applied for a scholarship at college and, and didn't get it. So like, I never really thought that, you know, I'd be in the first 15 that early. Like I, when I went to school, I was kind of just thinking like, if I can get there at some point, that'd be awesome. You know, like watching those boys high college matches in year nine and 10, like I was thinking, you know, one day I'd love to be out there and then get stuck into that. And, you know, I, I never expected it to kind of happen so soon. Yeah. Mm. I love your answer there. Cause a lot of the time I, I know that's sort of like a tough question to answer for you boys. Cause it's almost like I'm setting you up to talk about yourself, but you yeah. know, in, in a lot of cases, especially with the guys that I know, they've always been guns. So first thing year 11, how did you take to it? Did you take to it? Like you had done with the grades we've seen you playing so far in the professional ranks? um honestly yes and no yes and no like I was still I was still so like I've seen I see photos of myself now and I was an absolute beanpole like I was so skinny and like yeah I I don't know like I I I went all right I I played most games off the bench I think and then even later in the season didn't didn't get on for a couple but for me I was just kind of happy to be there and just learning like had, had some pretty awesome coaches and and yeah it was just for me it was just an awesome kind of experience to be in there um with guys that you know, as a, as a year 11 at school, the F-13s are, you know, kind of like gods to you. you and you never mm. even talk to them or see them much. And, you know, being able to be in a team with them kind of made me feel, you know, made me feel quite cool. 100%, bro. And then over the next two years, like you said, you you end up cracking schools in year 13. So at what stage, or did it not even happen before then, did you like ever think about rugby being like an option for you career-wise once you'd left school? I, I never thought like career-wise for a while but I always obviously like growing up as a kid you, your dreams always like you know I want to I want to play for the All Blacks or mm. want to play for whatever super team you know and and that was always a dream and I think probably when I made that schools team and, and then when when the academy kind of approached me because going through school like I had no idea of what like what pathways there were like I didn't really know what the academy was until Webby was the academy manager in, in Christchurch hit me up and they kind of lay out this pathway for you where they say they give you like your kind of ideal plan and it's like academy two years canterbury two years after that crusaders two years after that all Blacks two years after that you know and it's all laid out and and i think when that was kind of put in front of me i was like far out like you know a lot of hard work to be done but this actually could you know it could be a possibility and you know they present you with kind of the success rates of the academy down here as well which are through the roof like Mm. unbelievable win and you're kind of like you know this actually could be an option for me so so yeah I guess that was probably when I really had that that kind of yeah moment of, of realization now you seem like a pretty on-talk guy and I know that Christ really values your education so you know you leave school you, you're locked in with the academy but what else were you doing on the side to I don't know work towards once you finish with footy um, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing it. I'm actually studying towards a commerce degree, uh, majoring in international business at the moment. Um, so yeah, I did my first year full, um, full study. And then from then on, kind of had to start dropping a few papers just to be able to manage footy and stuff. But I actually initially started with a law and commerce degree, but 
had to after my second year you had to keep doing kind of full year papers and and I was obviously going between Auckland and here and that wasn't going to work so just do the commerce degree but but mum and dad were always real big on making me get a kind of degree or something behind my back so that I wasn't just you know bloody running running up and down a field all day and then doing nothing else with my, with my life so yeah I'm glad I do though and, and like yeah it keeps me busy like I'll come home from trainings most days and and especially when I'm in Christchurch all my flatmates will be at the library and stuff so it kind of makes sense for me to just pop down and even though I don't do a whole lot when I'm there I, I try my best. How did you find that first year juggling it because I know a lot of boys that went down to Lincoln, for example, and they did the scholarship thing. And, you know, none of those boys were academics when they left school. So I was always curious as to like what their study habits were like um, around all the extra training that, you know, the, the Canterbury system puts them through. So did you find it quite strenuous? Because I mean, like, yeah, you would have been in and amongst, you know, around the elite players, whilst also having to juggle, you know, like dabbling in law, you know, having a look into law. So it, was it intense for you? Yeah, the, the first um, month or two of the year were probably like super tough. And that was before uni even started. Like the academy training regime is very, very full on. And like just taking it kind of a, to adjust to that, you know, because you're used to, you know, your school trainings and stuff that are pretty, you know, they're tough, but they're, they're pretty low key. They don't try and overwork you too much. Whereas at academy, mm. you're in for four or five hours a day, gym, fitness skills mental skills you know personal development like cooking finance all that kind of stuff you know they, they work that all in there and all of a sudden you every day every week you know no real rest and, and that took about probably two or three weeks to get used to but luckily by the time we got into uni like that was all kind of you're already kind of used to that so mm. then you just kind of had to get used to the uni as opposed to adjusting to two massive lifestyle changes at once but no, it definitely was hard. And, and as well as like juggling the, the academic side of things as well, like juggling the kind of social side of being mm. I was in, a, in a hall in Christchurch here, and like judging, uh, juggling the so social side of that was also pretty tough. And to be fair, I was quite lucky, well, lucky, fine lucky, but I, I broke my knuckle um, at a training and it was just before O Week for Canterbury Uni. And I remember, I remember being gutted at the time when I broke my knuckle because I missed out on a a junior nights game and then as I say lucky because it kind of worked out that I got to go and be a student for a week and kind of get to enjoy that side of things which you know was looking back now like I, I never probably expected things to happen so fast so I thought I would have had a wee bit of time to kind of enjoy that student lifestyle you know but that was one of the times I really got to kind of enjoy that side of things. See, that's interesting because I know that, you know, a lot of these unions, they, they push guys to have something on the side while they're also focusing on rugby. But like you said, if you're that full on in both those areas, you almost don't have enough time to go out and hang with your mates and enjoy your youth. So like what what is their actual, you know, as someone who's been through the Canterbury system, like what is their, I don't know, ideal routine for guys like you? Like how do you fit in social time? Is it something that they try and, promote within just the rugby circle so like you guys just socialize amongst yourselves or like do they keep a tabs on you and like I'm, i know they can't keep a tabs on like how much you party and whatnot and i know that they wouldn't want to go overboard but they, they must understand that you guys are only young fellas no they definitely do they're, pre they're pretty reasonable with it which is good you know because as you say they realize that you, you know you've got to enjoy your youth but all, all within reason i think but like they don't keep tabs on you but you know they're not they're not stupid like they'll kind of hear 
things in the gym and stuff or what people have been up to and, and they kind of have, have a pretty rough idea you know so and like to be fair everyone also kind of holds each other accountable like if someone's just, you know been a bit of an idiot you know week after week after week you know mm. they've got a, quite a good system within the academy here that you know there's a lot of like peer accountability so people will call you up especially like the older boys in the academy because there's kind of first second and third years in the academy down here and you know the older boys won't be afraid to kind of call out the younger ones but it is it is pretty like there is a good balance don't get me wrong like uni's tough but as long as you kind of stay on top of it you can always make time for for social or rugby or whatever and, and then it kind of I guess just comes down to what you prioritize if, if you're the type of guy who likes to go out and you know get on the booze whatever and, and if you're not then it's just kind of what you prioritize at that, at that age um, yeah I mean I only ask because I, I see that especially nowadays you know with with the likes of social media and you see the all blacks talking about how they don't let you know rugby define them as a person and i know that for a lot of young guys when they leave school they're just rugby 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 and a lot of them assume that the guys that are or the guys that they look up to are just you know as soon as they're done with training they're in their notebooks and all they eat is chicken and broccoli whereas like that's not really the case you sort of have to have an outlet um but i know it's sort of tough or i'd imagine it'd be tough for guys who leave school who are in those academy systems because they haven't quite made it so they can't quite let their hair down maybe as much as the pros do. But again, like I said, they've still got to find that balance between like not overdoing it and, and burning themselves out. Like, did you, did you ever find yourself getting to that stage or did you have any mates that struggled with that? No, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Like we always got told when we we're in the academy, like being in the academy is your time to train like a professional before you're a professional, kind of build your habits. And then like, as I kind of got a bit further along, like talking to a lot of people, they say that, your time in the academy is like what sets you up for your professional career and they said like that's almost the hardest stuff like training you'll do because you're building your body you're building your skill set and whatever and then when you kind of get into a professional environment is when you should just be kind of adding on little tweaks mm. and like for me probably a bit different being fortunate enough to kind of um go up the levels at a, at a bit of an earlier age like I, I, for me I feel like I'm still working on loads of things you know like in terms of my body weight strength skill set whatever but yeah I, I definitely know what you mean like that can get quite tough but again they're pretty good at um at looking after you you know like they'll, they'll work you hard don't get me wrong but they're, they're pretty good at picking up cues if someone's you know looks like they're struggling or or having a you know having a shit day or whatever like they'll mm. they'll usually kind of be pretty good at picking that up and making sure that everyone's you know having a good balance of training work or whatever it is and then social time as well yeah, I mean, the proof's in the output, right? I mean, Canterbury's been that successful over the years and the players that they've tuned out of, you know, in terms of success rate um, through all the academies. Um, and you're one of them. So we talk about your first year out of school and you end up being the under-19 player of the year for Canterbury, as well as winning the national title. So did you see that year playing out as well as it did for you? Like, did you feel like you were, like you said, you were building yourself into like getting your body right and getting on top of all those good habits and then, you just reaped all the rewards from getting into those into that nice regiment. No, I definitely didn't see it going how, how I expected, like how it did. Sorry, to be fair, like I'd always kind of had had the nineteens marked as kind of a big goal of mine because all the all the older boys in the academy talked about it. And then, yeah, for me, to be fair though, like at the start of the year, I just wanted to try and work my way into starting for Div One. Um, you know, that was a big goal of mine once I kind of got named in that squad, and then yeah, just just start for 19s essentially and, and when the when the title was the the goal after that but 
Yeah, I, I was pretty surprised by that that 19th player of the year, to be fair. Like, I, there's a lot of great guys in that team that, to me, are probably a wee bit more deserving because, you know, we had, a, we had an amazing team if you look at the guys who have gone on from, from that team. So, mm. yeah, I guess I was just pretty lucky to be surrounded by some pretty awesome players. And so did you go from having quite a stellar age group time that year to them being involved with the the senior team and like how much of that or how much time did you actually spend with that group after you'd finished with the 19s yeah so the 19s is is like a looking back now it's such a unique time because it's like the last time probably that you'll ever play with your your age group again so after that you kind of go off into you know NPC or super or whatever you know and and there is under 20s as well as New Zealand under 20s, but we, our year kind of got canned with that. So for us, that genuinely was the last time. And there was, I think, six of us who got called in to train with the, the Canterbury team after 19s finished, which was quite cool, um, just for a couple of weeks, just to pretty much just come and hold tackle bags, essentially. Um, and that was quite a cool experience. But yeah, once you... Like a lot of the 19th guys are in the academy as well. So I guess that kind of continuation after that happened. But otherwise, yeah, yeah it is kind of like a six, seven week campaign. And then you just, you know, you kind of all go your separate ways, essentially. And you mentioned the fact that the 20s got canned that next year, but you would have known at the time. It was like, how, how gutting was that for you? Like who's someone who would have been in the mix for selection for that tournament. You know, it's a big one. You get to go overseas. You're representing your country again. Like, did you, missing out on the chance to put a black jersey on again, like, did that, I don't know, affect you at all? Not that it's your right to have one, but do you get what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually, like, a lot of boys found it tough, but for me, like, I, I still wasn't that sure if I was going to make the team, to be fair. Like, I didn't have a great, um, I didn't have a great trial, and I, and I didn't feel like I was playing my best footy at the start of that year. So, like, I, I wasn't too sure if I was going to make it. And then when it got cancelled, it was obviously gutting, but, I think if they'd named the team and then it had got cancelled, it might have probably affected me more, you know, because since there wasn't a team to travel, you know, you're always still a bit unsure. So it's, it kind of doesn't feel like it's been taken away from you, as you say. Whereas if, you, if I'd been named and then, and then they cancelled it, then it does kind of feel like, you know, that black jersey's been taken away from you again and another opportunity to go and, you know, test yourself against some world-class players has been taken away from you. But, but yeah, I guess because... It was so early on and they never really got too deep into the campaign. It was almost like a, you don't really know what you're missing out on a wee bit. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So finish up with Canterbury, the end of your first year out of school, and then you know you got the 20s, you know, going into that summer. Did you spend time with the Crusaders over summer as well? And like, what was the idea for the second year? I'm always interested in that because you're done with the 19s. I mean, the good ones are stuck with the 20s for the first half of the year and then is all eyes on the NPC for the second half? Yeah, so I um, I was lucky enough to pick up, they, they give these things out called interim training contracts to a few boys that they they give, I think, 15 out around the country for guys that, that they want to, um, I guess, grow um, before the under-20s campaign. Um, so I was lucky enough to get one of those. And then, yeah, but it was, initially it was kind of, for me, a wee bit of a grey area, as you say. Like, you kind of go into your 19s, and you finish that and you come a bit like where to next. But um, mm. I was fortunate enough to actually get that contract through from Canterbury before the end of the year. So that kind of, I guess, gave me a wee bit of certainty around, I guess, what was going to happen next. And then the, the ITC came through as well. Um, so, yeah, that kind of mapped out my next next couple of years, years at least. 
And how do you find that step up? I always ask because I know that the first preseason that boys go through at the Super Rugby level is like baptism by fire. But like you said, you're a pretty you're you're a big fella and you're reasonably fit. So did you struggle at all? Like was there one exercise? I know a lot of boys, a lot of boys talk about the running, but I know there's the wrestling as well that wrecks a lot of guys. So yeah. what was sort of like your welcome to the league moment? Um just to be fair, like that ITC was massive, like just eye-opener. Like all of a sudden, and even like going and training with Canterbury, you're training with guys you watch on TV and you're just like like going to the Crusaders, there's guys you've looked up to for years that are running around and, and it's just a bit of like a, you have to pinch yourself a wee bit that you're running up and down the field passing the ball to, to Will Jordan and, and the likes of those guys you know that you've you've kind of grown up watching but yeah the wrestle the wrestle and run got me good like they used to just set out your targets and you'd go for about 10 minutes you'd wrestle until they blow the whistle and and yeah like as you say I'm this little scrawny 19 year old kid wrestling with these full grown men who have played X amount of years of professional footy and they're just ripping me apart, like getting me on my back when we're wrestling it to keep getting up and starting again because I still hadn't blown the whistle yet and I'd already been bloody demolished. So that was kind of a bit of like a yeah, welcome, welcome to welcome to Super Rugby training. And also just out of curiosity, how big is the jump up? So at Super Rugby level, there's obviously they have like bottom lines for the position groups when it comes to the fitness. And so is that much of a bump up from what the baseline is for like the academy guys and the canterbury guys like does it keep going up the higher you go i think in the academy they tried to keep our targets um pretty similar to that and, and to be fair for me like my fitness has almost gone the other way because one thing you one thing you well i didn't realize at least is that when you come through the academy you're obviously a bit probably lighter than you will be when you eventually you know move right. up the level so like i was can't remember what I was coming into the academy, what weight I was, but you know, I, I was doing so say like a 440 Bronco or whatever. And then, you know, you compare that to say one of the Crusaders Broncos, but if they were to do a 440 as well, they're doing that with another 25 kilo on them, you know, which is mm. a lot, a lot harder to do. So the targets kind of stay the same, but I guess it kind of gets harder as you get bigger and stronger and older, I guess, yeah. Just saying, yeah, that, that that makes sense. It'd almost be like me going out and chucking on a weighted vest, trying to compete with those boys, or trying to like level the playing field, bro. Yeah. Um, because I'm I'm not big by any stretch of the imagination. But back to you. While we're here, you say that you locked up the Canterbury contract um before going into your second year, which was awesome. You know that would have been cool for you, like being able to stay hometown. You know, get the opportunity to put on the red and black. But then you got another contract offer even before you got the opportunity to suit up for a first-class team, that being from the Blues. So, like, was that just right out of left field? Like, how did that even come about? And, like, how did you process that? Because it would have been in the midst of lockdown, right? Oh, it was not. It was just after lockdown. But it was, like, honestly just was, like, it was bizarre. Like, I was like, where has this kind of come from? You know, I've just been playing... Like 20s got cancelled. I'd literally just been playing club footy for the last kind of like four or five months. Well, actually before lockdown and then a wee bit after lockdown. And I was just training real hard through lockdown for preparing for an NPC season. And then, yeah, like literally was in my flat, pretty slow day, kind of got off out of bed at nine to kind of go to the library and get a bit done. And phone rings and it's, hey, it's Liam McDonald from the Blues. And I was like, what is 
going on here? It's a Tuesday morning at nine o'clock. Like, what is, what is, is this the wrong number? And he's like, oh, you know, we're pretty keen to get you up here. Um, blah, blah, blah. And, I was, and I, was, I was just walking through to the lounge of my flat. A few of the boys are in there having breakfast. And like, I hang up the phone. And I've got this massive grin on my face. And like, and like at, at our age as well, no one really calls you at that time of the morning. And like, who's, who's, who was that on the phone? And I and I didn't want to tell them because I was like, you know, it's, I don't want to toot my horn <laughs> yeah. and stuff. But I was like, I was like, oh, look, you're not going to believe it. And I think there was two of them, and we're all like, told them, and we're all sitting there like, wow, that is nuts. <laughs> and I was like, oh, calm down. Like I don't know what's actually happening or whatever, but that's that's who was on the phone. Is that now? I I don't know if you know whether or not that's normal. I mean, obviously, like it's not normal to pick up a contract, especially with you being a forward so young. But just to have no indication, even from your agent, that teams are looking at you, and then for him to just cold call you and give you the heads up that yeah they want to sign you, like yeah, yeah I don't what, know. what a weird I, way. I, I'm the same. Mate. I don't know whether that's like a a normal thing or not. Like I I don't know, but it was looking back on it, I'm glad they did it because you know it makes for it. Um, you know, it made for a pretty cool moment with me and my fatties just sitting there, you know, being pretty fizzed. But it, it wasn't like a – he didn't, like, lay a contract down there, there and then, but he just kind of said then that we're interested in getting you up and stuff and we'll work through all the finer details later, but basically just called to express his interest. And then I think I heard from my agent kind of maybe even that same day or later uh, later that week or something about more of the kind of finer details. Crazy, bro. Yeah, bro, I can only imagine if that was me and my boys. Just like, well, one year my mates would not believe me, but then to be able to share like that raw emotion and and glee. But yeah, the yeah, the news. Was... Yeah, sorry, bro. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was just it was honestly it was crazy. Eh? And I was just gonna say like the story itself actually ended up making the headlines. Not so much. Well, one you know with the Blues investing, um, what was it like a three year deal of what it ended up being into a guy that hadn't played first class rugby not to say that you didn't deserve it but more so the fact that a homegrown Canterbury product decided to leave now I can understand because I am a rugby nerd and I see the the fact that there's Sam Whitelock Scott Barrett two all blacks in front of you so like you you're obviously just looking out for like well well what I'm assuming is that you're looking like well if I'm wanting to crack on as quickly as I can you know, like the, the chance of me knocking out two All Blacks um, isn't impossible, but it, it's pretty bloody slim. So could you talk us through what your, what the decision-making process was for you and like what talks you then had with Canterbury or other franchises if they were interested into like how you ended up making that final call on moving to Auckland later that year? Yeah, well, it was, it was, it was honestly like one of the most probably stressful times I've probably been through. Like obviously not a bad situation to be in by any mm. means you know you've got two awesome franchises that are kind of that are, that, are, that, are your, that are your options but I just went back and forth so many times like I'd because I was, I was pretty fortunate like we um we know my old man knows Steve Hansen quite well and so does, so does mum so I spoke to him on the phone um spoke to Scott Barrett Sam Whitelock um spoke to my agent spoke to a few other people and like all of those guys were awesome, you know, like they all kind of gave their own perspectives, but then all said like, it's it's your decision. You've got to kind of do what's best for you. And that was the same with my parents as well. And for me, like there were a number of things. And as I said, like I'd make my mind up one day and I'd wake up the next. And then like, it actually got to the point where my agent was like, oh, like you, you actually kind of need to make a decision soon because there's other 
you know, other other contracts that need to kind of they the teams need to get in place um yeah. next year. So <laughs> yeah, it was like for me it was just one definitely what you said, you know, like the 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 quality of, of players at the Crusaders, you know, Scooter and Sam. And then even beyond them, you've got Mitchell Dunshaw and Quinn Strange who are in the ABs that year. Um, Luke Romano was there and he's still a bloody quality player. Um, and a guy I've got a lot of respect for. And, you know, so there's, it's, it's, you kind of think far out, you know, it's, it's, where do I kind of fit in all of that? And, and, you know, I, that's not to say that I wouldn't back myself to kind of be able to, um, to be able to train and, and, and eventually surpass them. But for me, I, I find I kind of learn best, you know, you learn best in games, for me and like you can train as much as you want but unless you're actually putting it out there on the field and, and seeing how you know what that level's like and how you can assert yourself at that level um and that's also again not to say that the blues don't have quality players either because they've got some amazing players but yeah i just kind of saw that as a bit of an opportunity and then i guess the other reasons were as well like i've, I've kind of always lived beyond being born in dunedin like i've always lived in canterbury and the way i looked at it was like if i if i was to sign with the crusaders and stay here then you know, if all going well, you know, I could be here until I'm 30 and, and have never really gone outside of Christchurch at, at all in my life, you know. And I looked at a lot of a lot of guys, my mates from school who had gone down to Dunedin or Wellington for university, um, a lot of guys in the academy who had come from Auckland or, you know, come down and had loved the kind of change of scenery because, it you know, it puts you out of your comfort zone, makes you a bit more independent, you meet a lot of new people. And for me, I kind of like the idea of that. You know, and, and I kind of thought if there's ever a time to get out of Christchurch, it's it's now and to go and kind of get a new experience and meet some new people. And I guess, yeah, kind of just, just get out of my comfort zone a wee bit. And and that, that, those were the two kind of massive ones for me, you know, because and, there, and there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of other things that I had to consider as well, um, you know, because it wasn't easy moving away from family and stuff that were here and, and um, you know, growing up, uh, moving away from the team that kind of gave so much to me, you know, because because that was that was probably the hardest thing was you know knowing what the crusaders and the academy had, had invested in me um and, and kind of believed in me and pretty much turned me into the player i was and, and they were essentially the reason i kind of got those offers and to kind of then turn you back on that for me was tough but yeah i guess um i kind of had to yeah just do what i felt was kind of right for me and, and what i what i believed would would help me to kind of become the best player that i, that I could be yeah, bro, that's all you can do. You gotta you gotta put yourself as number one. And I just had to say that the last thing Canterbury need is another player with a lot of potential. It's not like they they're short of those these days or ever have been. So for for someone who's an opposing fan, um, being a Hurricanes fella, um, yeah, that was um I, I wasn't exactly sad um for the Grand <laughs> Crusaders or, or Canterbury's part, bro. But yeah, I mean, you seem like a guy who's got your head screwed on for the all of the 40 minutes that I've known you, bro, or got to know you. So you know, it's it's obviously an awesome thing to have rugby security or a security in terms of contracts in place for you, especially at such a ripe age. But did you ever feel that there was then another sense of pressure thrown on you? Because I mean, like when we saw this year, like when you when you were thrust out there, you mean like you, you took to it like a duck to water. But you know, I know I know a lot of guys when they get thrust into those sorts of environments. You know, doesn't matter what sport you you, you look into, but some guys don't tend to live up to the hype or they put too much pressure on themselves because they maybe care a little bit too much about what other people think so did any of that sort of stuff pass through your head after you got little signed and done um 
Yeah, yeah, and actually, yeah, especially going into Canterbury because it was kind of like you know, I, as you say, I hadn't played a single first class game, and I'd already kind of signed this contract, and um, and and yeah, as you say, it kind of it had already got out to the media, and I guess a wee bit of pressure, but at the same time, like for me, my mindset was that I'm, I'm I just want to go out and just I guess give it all I can, and and, and yeah, I guess I wasn't too worried about what others were thinking because for me, I was still so young and like that's what everyone was kind of saying to me as well. Like, you know, you've still got so much growing and development to do and, and all that kind of stuff. So don't don't stress too much. And I guess as well, like there's one or two ways to look at it. Like you can either look at it like you've signed these contracts so then you've got a lot of expectations or you can look at it like I've signed these contracts so yeah, it's a sign of people believing in me and, and, and mm. kind of take that confidence a wee bit, I guess. And yeah, I guess I kind of took that in my stride, but it, it definitely was hard, you know, and, and I was lucky to kind of have some awesome people around me within the Canterbury environment. Like um, Luke Romano was massive and has been massive for the player I am today and, and kind of taking me under his wing. And um, I remember him saying to me, we went out for a team dinner and he said, you know, you know, I completely back what you did. Like it's a, it's a bloody good decision. And for me, that was massive because, you know, he's new teammate, senior player in the team and, and kind of to say that was was pretty awesome. So, yeah. Totally, bro. And then how did you find the move to Auckland? Like you said, you'd never really escaped Canterbury. And I mean, I, and all the time that I spent in Auckland, don't know where a lot of those motorways lead to. So, you know, like what was it like touching down in AKL and then making your way to wherever they pinned you up? And then, was that more? Well, Again, with me being a rugby unit, I know you ended up flatting with Tom Robinson, which would have been an experience in itself, but you guys were quite close to base. So can you run us through like getting up there to Auckland, you know, like how did their precision differ from what you'd done in Canterbury and did it take you very long to adjust to the big smoke? Yeah, so it was, it was, I was so nervous going up. Like I, I literally knew no one. Like, oh, my brother was moving up for a, for a job in, in the new year. But other than that, like I, I knew no one. So I went up there and I went up for a kind of a, a week on and oh, like two weeks kind of spread apart before Christmas. They had these little training camps and stuff and went and met the coaches and stuff. And I just, for me, because I thought, you know, at least then I'm going to meet a couple of people. And when I go on for day one of training, I'm not going to be, you know, completely foreign to everyone. But then, yeah, when I officially moved, it was after, it was after new, the New Year period, actually. I had a few mates up. And I remember the first night, um, the first night I was I was meant to stay in the flat. I was actually going to go and stay at one of my one of my mates at an Airbnb because I didn't like there was heaps of people staying at our flat, um, like mates of our flat mates. And I was like pretty daunting, like there's all because they're all a bit older than me. And I remember being like, I don't really want to rock in there, you know, new kid on the block. It's just gonna you know be pretty awkward and stuff. So, but I ended up staying there and, and it was fine. But um. But yeah, from then on, like I was, I was so fortunate because my flatmates were awesome. Like Tom Robinson's a an absolute top bloke, you know, and just took me under his wing. Um, Jimmy Lay was there as well, who's in the Blues too, um, and another guy, Hugh Beard, who um, isn't a rugby guy but kind of been around, you know, good mates with all the boys. Um, and as I said, like they're a bit older, like they're all about kind of 25, 26. So for me, I was kind of a bit apprehensive about that like I didn't know what I was kind of getting myself into a wee bit like I'd never met the guys um but you know soon figured out that they're bloody good roosters and that regardless of age you know we, we got along bloody well um and yeah as you said was literally flitting across the road from base so 
first day on the job, just just wandered over, <laughs> wandered over, and there I was. So that wasn't too hard. Um, but yeah, literally from the first day, like everyone was just so welcoming. Um, everyone says that, but but like they genuinely were. Um, and I think having being being like fitting with Tom, who's quite a kind of senior member of the team and, and very well respected by everyone. Um, I think that kind of helped me a lot because you know it would just kind of drag me along to all the kind of team events and you know whether it was um, you know going out for a few drinks or going for a poker night whatever it was you know just always kind of drag me along and and I know I probably annoyed them a wee bit at the start but I'd like to think that we get on pretty well now um, but yeah so it was just like a it was it was quite a seamless transition eh, which was surprising for me because I thought there'd be a wee bit of a kind of rough patch but but yeah, and then and then having my brother up there helped as well because you know if I was ever the homesick or whatever, I just go pop around and see him, who was just living around the road, and yeah, it was it was awesome. Smooth sailing, bro. Good to hear. But you know, a lot has been made of Leon McDonald since he's taken over the Blues and how he sort of revitalised that team from being um, perennial underachievers to then winning a, a competition this year, the Trans Tasman Trophy. So. Can you tell us, because, you know, like he's a Canterbury legend or he's a, he's a Crusaders legend, he's an all-black. Has he taken anything from that Canterbury system, which he would have been, you know, very familiar with from his playing days and implemented that into, you know, I guess the Auckland setup? Or I know you can't really change a lot because I know that I know that the attitudes differ from each province, but as someone who doesn't have the intel there, can you give us any insight into perhaps what's changed, even though you're only a first year this year? Yeah, it's hard to say because I'm not too sure how what kind of principles they had in the in those um, teams that he was back in with in Canterbury. But well, I'm sure he would have like. But it, but at the same time, you've got to be careful not to. And I think he's kind of said this week as well. Like you've got to be careful not to. You don't want you can't just reinvent the wheel. You know, you've got to take what worked for you and then somehow spin it in a way that incorporates what we're already good at up, up at the Blues, and then and then kind of run with that you know and I think he, he's done that really well from what I've seen and obviously as, as you say I'm a first year player so I don't actually have much clue really um, but you know from what I've seen is he he, he he just gets on really well with the boys and, and and is very very well respected and and like he's just got a great rugby brain and, and as you say he's probably bought a lot of things that, that worked with for him both as a player and a coach at the Crusaders brought them up here and just put a kind of different spin on it um, and you know transformed the way that we play um and and yeah and the way we we perform yeah and then you know obviously you get your pre-season under your belt did was is there much of a difference between the clubs like was the training any more intense in Auckland or intense in um it is it is a wee bit different like when I was with the Crusaders we didn't do much off-site stuff I think it was a shorter pre-season than usual so so I think they they maybe usually do a bit of that but we just did a lot of like wrestle and run at, at the at the training ground, a bit of boxing. They brought in these boxing gloves and stuff. Um, but at the Blues, we used to do these. Um, they called it going to Disneyland, and we went down to all these different kind of massive hills, um, like Cornwall Park, and there's another couple ones we went to, and they just set out cones, and you'd just sprint up the hill, walk down, sprint up the hill, do that for about an hour, and then you know you'd call it a day. But it was quite fun, like. Oh, fun. not fun. But not not fun, but like you know, it was it wasn't too bad because it was a good kind of camaraderie with the boys. Um, you know, everyone's just in the hurt locker together. And then we also did this one mud run, which was 
awful. It was one of the hardest things I've done. Like that was, and it's so deceiving as well because it looked like you're about to go probably about 300 meters, touch this boat and turn around and you're kind of thinking, oh yeah, this will be a piece of piss. And then you're just about chest deep in mud about two steps later and you're thinking far out. This is, I'm in, I'm in for it here. Um, but yeah, like pre-season was, was, was very tough, but it's, but it was good. Like I, I think I needed it and it was good for me, my weight gain as well. Like the trainer up there, um, Phil Healy, he's, he worked with me pretty closely. Um, around what I was eating and, and they're, they're bloody awesome up there as well they, they provide you with a lot of um, supplies and stuff at, at the at HQ so for me like just eating when I can straight after trainings and just making sure that I'm you know getting that weight on and stuff through pre-season was, was massive. How have you found that because you know especially with being a younger guy in the forwards you know you, you probably haven't fully grown into your body just yet so has that been much of a struggle? I mean, you mentioned the fact that you were a beam pole at high school, but has weight been something that you've had to consistently work on? Yeah, definitely, and I still am. Um, it's it is bloody tough, and and it comes and goes as well. Like you, like when I went up to Auckland, I put on about so between like when I went up and left, I put on about six kgs in like six months. I think I think it was, or maybe even eight kgs actually. And I was kind of thinking, you know, this is not easy but you know like if I keep doing this I'll be away and then came back down here and just kind of lost lost about two or three kilos just like that you know and mm. and I don't I, I don't even know I, I kind of had a had a head knock that put me out for a bit that I couldn't train so I think that kind of factored into that a bit but it's it, it is bloody tough like as I said living with Tom was awesome as well because he is you know the ultimate professional like he eats so well each day every day like he's and, and that was massive for me like learning how to conduct yourself through a week you know like for me I'd always eat well but you know have the odd you know slip up here and there which, which he's not he's not against either but you know he's just very um disciplined in his eating and stuff because he's the exact same like he's he's at his ideal weight but if he if he doesn't eat what he needs his weight drops so you know for me living with him was awesome because I just pretty much do exactly what he did essentially but, but and for me it was about gaining as opposed to him just maintaining um mm. yeah and that was that was huge for me yeah it's always a funny one right like why on earth would you ever complain about having to eat more but i, I guess like for guys like yourself who lose it quicker than they gain it like it can actually be almost annoying having to have a shake in between sessions and stuff like that i know i know for especially like a lot of the backs that you know that are playing in the outside backs that aren't your biggest followers they say that they struggle with or even like someone like aaron smith's gone on the year and mentioned the fact that even just finding that balance between not being too heavy and not being too light trying to find that perfect balance where you don't feel as gluggy but not feeling like the knocks are gonna hurt you as much for me it's like finding the balance between eating and eating well because i could eat shit food all day long pretty much put a burger in front of me and chips and i'll just eat that four or five meals a day but and, and like and to be fair they, they almost encourage that a wee bit because um you know it's you know at times you need it but mm-hmm. for me it was as you say those shakes like after dinner after training like you get home you get and this is the one i'm still probably bad at and 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 what tom would always get in my case about was getting home from training and you're just knackered and the last thing you want to do is try and force some turn in rice or shake down 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 your throat but it's just what you kind of got to do and and as you say you probably sound quite picky complaining about having to being forced to eat but it's it's about 
forced to eat the food, the kind of good food that you've got to eat, you know? 100%, bro. But you must have got a, a pretty good grasp of what it takes to be a super rugby player and, you know, gone about preseason the right way because you were thrown into the mixer in round three, which is probably a lot earlier than I'm assuming you would have expected to. So talk us through that process. I mean, like your debut against the Highlanders, like how did that week go out? And I mean, you got named to start. So like that would have been even crazy, you know, like you probably don't even get the chance to have those butterflies before the game. Like what a lot of debutants do, you know, with having to wait almost 60 minutes to get on. So can you talk us through like what your process was that week and how did you tell your parents and where your head was at? I'll, I'll, I'll take you back even further because like, it's basically like when we went into preseason. You know, like I talked to mum and dad and stuff and kind of knew that this year was probably a growth year for me. So, like, kind of expected to get, you know, maybe a game or whatever. But went into pre-season and the first game I, I got a vomiting bug. So I couldn't play like, on the Friday night. And then and I was like, this is just, you know, worst, worst case scenario. Missing out on one of the, you know, one of the two games that I hopefully get to play. And then luckily the next week didn't get a vomiting bug. So I got to get 40 off the bench. Um and and yeah, for me, like after that second preseason game, I was kind of like, you know, this could be me until you know maybe the the Trans Tasman comp. We hope they'll get a run or whatever. And and then yeah, as you say, like when I got named to start, it was surreal. Like it was such an awesome feeling. It was funny. Josh Good, he actually said to me because he'd hurt his wrist, and I think he must have been told that I was playing because he's. I was sitting next to him in the meeting when the team got named, and he said, "Oh, have you um have you been told the team?" And I was like, nah. And I saw he had a strap wrist. And in my mind, just went, why? But I was like, surely not. Like, surely I'm not getting around, you know. And I was like, nah, I'm not. Like, don't be silly. Don't be silly. And then comes up on the TV that I'm starting. And I was like, what? what is going on? <laughs> and, like, it was actually it was made even more special by the fact that um, not many people know this, but my middle name's Gordon. And I'm named after Gordy Hunter, who, who the mm -hmm. Blues and Highlanders play for, for the Gordie Hunter trophy so to kind of be named to debut in that that game yeah is, was so special and like I rang my old man who who was like best mates with Gordie and, and knew him really well before he passed away and pretty much just lost him on the phone for a bit <laughs> didn't really you know didn't hear much on the other end for a wee while while he was kind of you know gathering himself and then yeah said said you know better, better book my flights up so we got on a, got on the plane but the week was amazing as well. Like, just had to kind of pinch myself at so many things. Like, you hear kind of starters in, and for the first couple of weeks, I've just been running against them, and, and I was more than happy doing that. And and then I, you know, get to run around with the, the likes of Buddy, you know, Akira Yuani and Nipple Alala and Offa Tonga Fassi, you know, all, all those guys that I've looked up to in All Blacks jerseys for the last three years and, and all that. And now I'm Packing down a scrum next to next to Big Patrick Tuivasa, and I was like, "Far out! This, you know, this has come all pretty quickly." Um, yeah, so it was it was incredible. And the game, like, do you remember much of it? Is it a blur? Like, do you remember your first touch? Like, it's, you do anything a, different? It a, oh, it's a wee bit of a blur, but I'll be lying if I if I said I hadn't watched it a couple of times on the TV. <laughs> so that kind of redogged my memory a wee bit. Um, but no, the, before the game was actually pretty funny because I'd talked to these my mates from school would always said like if I ever um if I ever debuted for back then I'd said the Crusaders but obviously that is a bit different but they'd always said you know for the first super game like we'll we'll try and get to watch 
And then I think I told one of my good mates on like the Wednesday or Thursday, like, oh, I've been named to start um, making my debut and he was real fizzed. And then he's like, oh, no, we can't. Um, you know, we looked at flights, but they're way too expensive, so we can't come up. And I was like, yeah, I, I didn't expect you to, but I was just letting you know these ideas. So, and then I was over having the pre-match meal and I came over, came back over to the flat, obviously just across the road, and my phone, I had like four or five notifications, a few missed calls and stuff, and I just go straight onto my Snapchat and here's a photo of 10 of my good mates from school, all at Dunedin Airport. And I was like, what's, and they said, see you soon. And I was like, what's going on here? And then... I ring one of them and he's like, yeah, mate, we've just landed in Auckland. And I was like, and there's 10 of them, all 10 of them flown straight from Dunedin, all students who are like, don't really have the money for flights. And they said that flights just popped up that were quite cheap and they all just came up and, and I had to say to them, I was like, look, I need to turn my phone off because I'm just getting way too, like, I was already, you know, so nervous before that. And now I was nervous slash excited to see my mates and play in front of them and, I was like, this is all a bit much. Like, I just need to turn my phone off and just chill for a bit. But, yeah, and then running out onto Eden Park was awesome and special as well. Like, one of, well, probably New Zealand's, you know, most famous famous sporting ground and, and with, a, with a pretty decent crowd there as well. You know, I just, I remember running on and just looking around. And because and that was kind of the mindset which I went into that game with and which I've gone into a lot of my games with is like I just want to go out there and enjoy it and, and kind mm. of take in each moment because you know often you can get carried away and what's kind of happening around you but for me that was that was one of the biggest things and and then yeah we kicked off and I'll never forget because we previewed it as well that they liked to hit Highlanders like to hit their third runner off the kickoff and being all pumped up and eager we've lined up and I happen to be on the third man but most teams will hit their second man. So I've just flown up to try and smash the second guy and the ball's gone straight past my face. They probably just about could have grabbed it and Shannon Frizzell's gone through a massive hole and luckily Dolts was there and cleaned up my mess and I was kind of like, got to the next scrum and I was like, you know, got that out of the way. But now I can just kind of, you know, settle in. So, but yeah, the game was, yeah, just went by like that. Like I was just so filled with adrenaline and stuff and, you know, it just was, yeah, it was incredible and such an amazing experience. I can only imagine. And then from there, you earn another five caps. You round it off with six for the year. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you guys end up taking out the Trans-Tasman competition. Um, so would you deem 2021 a success? Was it like in terms of goals that you probably would have set yourself at the start of the year? Did you smash them? And like, are you still working towards them now? Um. Yeah, still working towards, obviously still got the Canterbury season um, kicking on. So that's a big goal of mine to try and um, win that NPC. But in terms of the super season, um, obviously it would have been awesome to win that, that Aotearoa comp. Um, that was a big goal of ours. But at the same time, still no mean feat um, winning the Trans-Tasman one. But yeah, in terms of personal goals, obviously got a lot more playing time than I ever expected uh, with the Blues. So that was, yeah, a massive tick. But yeah, I guess I would... Oh, I deem it somewhat of a success, but as I guess you're never really happy with with what you kind of do, you know. Like as I said, that was it. All kind of irks me a wee bit that we didn't um, win that Aotearoa comp because I feel like we, when we played our best, we we were, you know, I reckon we were a good shot, but you know, it's obviously not to be. And Crusaders and Chiefs were quality sides that both, you know, beat us both times. So yeah, I guess. Um, 
somewhat of a success, but always, always things to kind of keep keep chipping away at. And so, what is the the plan for you beyond, um, obviously, the Canterbury season? Like just straight up to the Blues, like after Christmas, like we talked about before. And I mean, do you have anything else planned for yourself? I mean, because when you had a bit of a break, obviously during the lockdown, but do you do you have any vices to get your head away from rugby and anything like that coming up? Here? Um, no, I guess it's the way it's worked out with COVID and stuff's quite good. Like I'll, I'll get to spend December in Christchurch now, which is kind of when all my mates come back from uni and stuff. So that'd be quite nice, just catching up with a lot of them. Um, and then getting away with the family, love kind of going away with this batch and Twizel and get down there for skiing, water skiing and, and, and busketing and just relaxing on the beach. That's probably my main vice, just literally just not doing a whole lot and just enjoying the sun. But then you yeah, actually am... Obviously not not looking too far ahead. Still got um, a lot of footy to be played yet, but I'm looking forward to kind of having a break and then getting back up to Auckland and and, and getting stuck in again. Yeah, bro. Sounds like a plan. Well, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up like what I want to get from you know your career so far because I mean you still got so much rugby ahead of you, bro. But before I let you go, what I do with all of my guests is that I try to round it off with two segments. Try I do round it off with two segments. Uh, that being, first off, can you take us to your game day routine? Yeah, um, I don't have, oh, I do have a weekly routine. So basically, it depends when you're playing, but for a seven o'clock game, obviously get up and have a pretty big feed. And that's massive for me, like having a feed, because mum's always kind of taught me from a young age that you need to make sure you get your food in on game day. So, and, and it's tough though, because you're always pretty nervous and you're trying to buddy, you know, just pack yourself with food when you're sitting there feeling like you're going to be sick. So that's always kind of a tough balance to find. But, um, yeah, and then usually we, if, if it's an away game, you'll kind of go out for a coffee and, and a walk with with the team. Um, I don't drink coffee, but I'll usually just kind of get out of the get out of the hotel or whatever, go play some cards, come back, um, and then usually like to kind of have a wee nap either before or after the the pre match feed, whichever it is. And in in that nap, kind of like to do a bit of visualization and stuff as well, like kind of picture what how the game might go, how you might play, things you want to work on and stuff. And then, yeah, and then usually kind of an hour or two before we leave, I'll, I'll kind of jump in the shower, just kind of wake myself up again. And then literally just kind of cruise, playing a bit of music. And again, that, my mind will kind of start to tick over then around what I want to kind of achieve out on the field, um, what, what we've worked on throughout the week, what we've previewed and stuff that the other team might do. And then just kind of start building, building towards kickoff and then, Usually write down the things things that I want to nail in my book, either at the stadium or just before we go. And then yeah, kind of like to go out for a wee walk on the field and chuck a ball around before before the game. And then from then on, just pretty much, um, pretty much yeah, just just locked in at what what we want to achieve. So pretty boring routine to be fair, pretty straightforward and and not a lot to it. But yeah, what about superstitions? Left boot, right boot, skins, prayer. I have I have game day undies though. Um, well, how long have they been yeah, Oh, no, nah, I've changed them a wee bit. So, like, I used to have ones through school that I wore, and then I had ones in, in first year. And then mum bought me back these um, budgie smugglers from Aussie last year, and they're, like, like, turquoise blue with, like, watermelons on them. And I don't know why, but I wore them one game, and I played quite well. And I was like, yeah, these are the new, these are the new game day undies. And it was actually, we played South on the other day, and, my pants got pulled down in a, in a mall and there's me standing in my bloody turquoise blue and watermelon undies on, on live TV, which was, uh, that wasn't flash, but that's all right. 
there seems to be a bit of a trend amongst rugby boys the old budgie smugglers i don't know who the instigator was or who gets the who gets the tick for being the trailblazer there but i don't know is that something that's just accepted in in rugby domains now like is it i, I can't I see them know, being comfy i don't know no nah, they actually no nah, well, i guess well, yeah i don't know where it's come from either because no one else no one else i know wears them and i've got a couple now and and yeah i, I don't know where it's come from but they are they are comfy and like they it's good as well because obviously you'll hop straight into the shower after the game and that way you just you know in your budget <laughs> when you jump into the shower yeah, I know, I know, what is it, like, Brandon Smith in the NRL, he's got his own budgie smugglers, so perhaps yeah, that's an avenue for you, right, to me. Yeah, well, I don't know if I can have my own ones yet, but a lot of those a lot of those league boys love it, so maybe that's where it came from. They just, you know, got around it and just kind of caught on over here. Yeah, maybe that's something for me to investigate. We'll see. But <laughs> before I let you go, bro, my last segment, 10 in the bin, 10 questions, first answer that comes to your head. Ready to roll? Yeah. All right, number one. What's your vessel of choice at a pre-drinks on a night out? Spades. Definitely spades. Ultra low carb or? Oh, if I'm feeling healthy, I'll probably go for the Summit Ultra, yeah. Otherwise, I'll just go for the tried and true. Cold meter layer. Sometimes you need the extra calories, bro. Or maybe more so yeah, in your exactly. case. All right. Exactly. Who's the most notable coach's pet you've been around? Oh, that's tough. Um, no one actually pops in my head, really. Oh, Shiloh Klein loves greasing up, greasing up to the Canterbury coaches. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Who was your idol growing up? Uh, Sam Whitelock and Israel Dagg, actually, which is a bit left field for a lock, but they were, they were my two um, idols growing up. Was that buzzy then being able to, like, meet and, like, talk to you? I mean, you mentioned the fact that you talked to Sam about making your move to Auckland. Like, what's that like, actually getting to, like, meet and rub shoulders with a guy that you've idolized is that like a weird thing yeah pretty pretty crazy yeah like i remember um i didn't actually i talked over the phone with him when i when i had the um when i was talking about the decision but even just like meeting him for a few meetings through itc and stuff and all that was and even he's just been in with us for the last couple of weeks in canterbury and like you know he's unreal like he just the his detail he goes into with the game like i've learned so much of him in such a short time already um and you know, going and even playing, like, I got the chance to play against him with the Blues, and that was pretty awesome as well, you know, like, that was a dream come true for me um, to kind of lock horns with him as well, so that was, yeah, pretty awesome, you know, getting to rub shoulders with those guys. Yeah, I heard he, um, he's, he's a bit of an old trickster, he, he can get us some dirty tactics, but we don't need to hear those here, I'm sure you'll know <laughs> yeah. firsthand. Um, what's your must do on a day off? Golf, go for a round of golf, definitely. I'm terrible, absolutely terrible, but I like getting out with the boys for a, for a wee walk in the yard. Nice, bro. Uh, favorite cheat meal? Burger fuel. What's your order? See, my go-to order would be a barbecue bacon roadster, but if I'm feeling healthy, I'd have to go with the bastard just because it's not quite as greasy with the, with the um, crispy onion rings and all sorts. <laughs> Yeah, you can't tell me you're just the burger, bro. Give me like the whole shebang. Oh yeah, well I'm obviously getting I'm obviously getting spud fries as well. And I, oh, if I was feeling really dirty, I'd maybe get a wee um thick shake in there as well. But but that that'd be an extra special occasion. Perhaps after um yeah, big night out or whatever. We'll get into that. If you weren't a rugby player, what would you be? I don't know. It's a. Maybe a, uh, 
like in, in business of some sort, probably just working at a desk job somewhere. I'm not very good. I'm not, not much of a handyman, so definitely wouldn't be a tradie of any any kind. But yeah, maybe working a desk job of some sort. Yeah, you and me both, bro. Suck my hands. Um, <laughs> who's the cheapest teammate you've been around? Tom Robinson. He's he's good with his money. He is, and he's no, he's not cheap, but he's good with his money. You know, we you know, he won't won't throw it around unnecessarily. I don't need to ask any more questions, but I don't want to set you up so much. Um, what's a song? Is there an artist or is there a podcast that you're listening to at the moment that you could recommend to the listeners? I've just been listening to the new Drake album, actually. Um, don't mind that. Um, a, few boys, a few boys enjoy it as well, so we've been kind of getting, getting amongst it. But I'm a big J. Cole fan, actually, which the boys, in, the boys of the Blues like to give me a bit of stick about, considering the fact that I'm a skinny white boy listening to J. Cole. But... <laughs> I don't know why, but I enjoy it. <laughs> oh, you like what you like. Um, yeah, exactly. who's, the, <laughs> who's the biggest grub you've played with and against? Biggest grub? Luke Romano, for sure. He is, no, he is grub as they come. Loves just absolutely smoking people. He's, he's, he's a pretty legal grub, but like he, he loves just getting stuck in people. Mate, you need them. Well, you prefer to have them in your team than playing against them. But, oh, exactly. But, it's, yeah. it's not a game of rugby if you don't have a grab on the field. Um, yeah. Last question, my bro. You just got to finish off the sentence for me. Saturdays are for? The boys, definitely. Always. There's only one answer there, mate. See it, bro. Like, I, I, I'm in total agreement with you. But, you know, I've had some guys come out with some, um, some pretty diplomatic answers, put it that way, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I've got no one that I'm trying to please, so he's like, and I can be honest with you. <laughs> Nice one, man. Well, uh, as, as anyone who is listening to this back um, would already know by now, this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Sam. Um, I appreciate you following my channel. Best of luck with all the footy moving forward and uh, take care of yourself. Cheers, mate. Uh, it's been a bit of pleasure being on. I've, I've loved it. So, yeah, cheers. All right, Sam. Go well. <laughs>